Good morning, everybody. Another great song. Why don't you stay standing, and uh, I want you to take your device or your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. And for those of you that are not familiar with the Bible, just turn about two-thirds in the Bible if you've got the book. If you've got a device, then you know how to search that in 2 Corinthians, about two-thirds through the uh, New Testament. And we're looking at chapter 9, verses 1 to 15, a long text, actually, the entire chapter. And uh, so today, we are beginning a four-week series called The Secret to Happiness, because I know that happiness is a big deal at this time of year. Some of you have made resolutions, and some of you have decided that you're going to, you know, diet and exercise and all those kinds of things. So I just think that The Secret to Happiness is probably a good theme to start 2018 with. But before we do that, I want to tell you a story about a, a wealthy Canadian son who was known for his lavish gifts to his dad. So one year, he gave his dad season tickets to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's a whatever, but at any rate. And the next year, he actually gave his dad... Um, hang, um, um, hang gliding lessons, but last year he outdid himself. He went out of his way and he found a bird that could sing O Canada in five languages on one leg. He paid $10,000 for the bird, sent it to his dad, and a few days later after Father's Day, he said, hey, Dad, He called his dad and said, hey, dad, how did you like the bird? And his dad said, it was delicious. (laughs) You're sicker than I am. I'm reading the green, you're reading the black, and this is what it says. Now, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me, and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers and sisters to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you and me, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness, 
you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love for us, that you have exhibited so generously, so extravagantly, so graciously in, through, and is Jesus Christ. And for the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit that helps us in this moment to speak and to hear and to understand and to comprehend. And then as we leave this room to go out into our marriages and our families and our neighborhoods and the places where we go to school and the places where we work and where we get our services, Lord, to live out your truth in tangible, meaningful ways as disciples of Jesus Christ for his praise, for his glory, and in his name, Amen. Why don't you be seated? Now, got a question for you, got a couple of questions for you that I don't want you to answer out loud. First of all is this, are you happy? Would you, cons- thank you. Would you consider yourself to be a happy person? Would your spouse, would your friend, would the people that know you best, would they consider you to be a happy individual. And then the second question is this, what makes you happy? What makes me happy? And if you are not happy, if you are not a happy person, then what would it take to make you happy? What would it take? Somebody once said, asked the question, what is happiness? Well, According to one commercial, happiness is marine land. I don't know if that's true or not. I've been there, and I wasn't that happy. But everyone wants to be happy. Everyone. And everyone is on the happiness quest. Now, just a caveat as we go along, for those of us who are Christ followers, we know that we are supposed to experience happiness slash joy that is not subjected to circumstances. And I think you know that I know that there is a difference between happiness and joy. And I don't want to get bogged down this morning with semantics. So we're just going to kind of take the broader scheme of things and the broader concept. But there is a happiness, a joy that is available to us that, that should make us happy and joyful no matter what the circumstances may be. There is a joy. There is a happiness that the deepest trouble cannot drown, and if properly nourished and nurtured, it can even overwhelm the greatest circumstances. And so we come to our text, which we just read a moment ago, which is 2 Corinthians 9, 1 to 15, and it addresses a number of components that speak to our need, our desire to be happy. 
and our desire and our need for happiness. And, and the first one is this, that if we are to be happy and if we're going to be happy, then there is a practice that is inevitable. Now, Paul says here, he says, now it is superfluous, it is, there is no need, he says, for me to write to you about, and the ESV says, this ministry to the saints, the NIV says, this service to the saints. Now, we could also include the words giving and offering, but what I want to be careful about this morning is that when we talk about giving and when we talk about offering, it usually boils down to money. And there's no question that serving and ministry and all of that kind of thing involves money, but it is not sort of just about money. And I want us to pull the camera back this morning and see the broader picture of serving, of serving others. That's the practice that is inevitable if you and I are going to be happy. If you and I are going to experience happiness, one of the things that we have to do is that we have to serve others. Now, usually when we consider serving others, there are a couple of things that we have to keep in mind. They are obvious, but they need to be stated. First of all, serving others means that some, it is somewhere beyond ourselves, and it is someone beyond ourselves. The second thing is that it also involves this issue of being sacrificial. Now, when we serve others, this means that it's going to cost us something. Sacrificial serving, more often than not, requires that we have some sort of lifestyle change. There's an adjustment that needs to be made in our lives. Here's what I mean. Most of us in this room, if not all of us in this room, know that we are so busy and that our calendars have absolutely no margins, just like our master and our visa cards, and that we cannot possibly take on another task, another responsibility, or any other activity. And in order to do that, that means there needs to be some change. And if we are going to serve other people, and if we are going to be people of service, and if we're going to be happy about it, then we are going to have to make some room in our calendars. We are going to have to make some changes. Some things are going to have to go. But ironically, you and me, we, we reason, when I get more time, I'm going to get more involved. When things slow down, I'm going to become more active. When things get better, I'll be able to do some other things. But we know that seldom ever happens. Because it's the lie of service. And the lie of service is this, that serving is never convenient. There's never a better time. There's never better, more convenient circumstances. Serving is always, always inconvenient. And if we are going to wait, if we are going to wait until we find a better time, we will never get to serving others 
or serving anyone else other than ourselves. In other words, serving others requires a sacrifice. And a sacrifice usually involves some sort of stretching, some sort of change. Now, the third thing we want to just mention here is that serving others will not only make us happy, but it'll make other people happy because serving and giving and ministering is actually contagious. I learned this morning that the sign language for contagious is this. Contagious. And Paul says, in verse 2, he says, And your zeal has stirred up most of them. But there's also this. What I refer to as, well, not me, but other people as well, the iron law of the universe. The law of the harvest. The law of sowing and reaping. And it's right there in our text, verse 6, Whoever sows sparingly would also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And then it says in verse 7 that each one must give as uh, he or she has decided in their heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, we'll come back to that in a couple of minutes, but here's the point. An open heart creates an open hand. An open heart creates an open hand. Not reluctantly. We don't serve reluctantly or hesitantly or half-heartedly or unwillingly or under compulsion by being pressured or under duress or being obligated. No. That's not how we serve. Someone a long time ago said there are three types of servers, three types of givers. Some servers are like stone. To get anything out of them, you have to hammer it out, and the only thing you get then is sparks. Other people are like sponges. In order to get them to serve, you've got to squeeze the sponge, and the harder you squeeze it, the more you get out of it. But others are like honeycomb, which overflows with its own sweetness. Serving is something that we should do not because of guilt, not because of undue pressure, but out of willingness. And here's the motivation. It's right in the text. The motivation for serving generously is that it's emotive. Now, I want you to put your seatbelts on. Notice what it says here in verse 7. For God loves a cheerful, a cheerful giver. Now, note a couple of things. First of all, this is the first time God is mentioned in our text in verse 7. Are you ready for this? God loves for us to be happy. Turn to your neighbor and say, God loves for you to be happy. Now, whoever said that to you, you say it back to them. God loves for you to be happy. Now, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know what you're thinking. I know what some of you are thinking, and I thought it too. There's a measure of discomfort here, right? Because we're not really sure, we're not really sure as Pentecostals, as, as evangelicals, that that's really accurate. 
that God loves for us to be happy? So I just want you to absorb that now for a moment. Just kind of get used to the idea that God loves for us to be happy. I want you to say it to yourself. God loves for me to be happy. Well, that's pretty weak. Come on. God loves for me to be happy. Do you believe that? You're not sure though, right? Some of you, but that's okay. But it's more than that. Now, I told you uh, about a month and a half ago or whatever, I told you this, that the word cheerful actually comes from the Greek word hilaros. And hilaros is where we get our English word hilarity or hilarious. Now, not only does God want you to be happy and me to be happy, he wants us to be hilariously happy. Well, I know that some of you are in a hard time still with this idea of God wants you to be happy. And the fact that God wants you to be hilariously happy is just more than some of us can take in. Right? But that's what it says right there, that God loves a cheerful giver. That God wants you and me to be hilariously happy. Hilariously happy. Over the moon happy. Now, the only way to be that happy, the only possible way for you and I to be hilariously happy is to give, is to serve, is to minister to other people. You know what Jesus said, right? Is more blessed to give than receive. By the way, interesting fact. Do you ever notice in the New Testament that Paul never quotes Jesus? You ever notice that? In the New Testament, Paul never, ever quotes Jesus. Ever. Except for one statement. It is more blessed to give than receive. And you and I will never be happy. We will never be hilariously happy until we are serving or ministering or giving to someone other than ourselves, somewhere other than where we are. But it doesn't end there. On top of being hilariously happy, we will discover a provision that is inexhaustible. A provision that is inexhaustible. Now, notice what it says here in verse 8. That God is able to make all grace abound to you and me, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, here's what the point is. I want you to back up, if you will, and go back to uh, God is a giver. God is a giver. Now, we've already kind of give you a preview, but our text stacks up the superlatives. Look at the allness of verse 8. Listen to what it says. That God is able to make all grace abound to you and you and you. And all sufficiency in all things at all times that you and I may abound in every good work. There is a resource in God that is outrageously overwhelming. 
This is the provision of God for my life. This is the provision of God for your life. This is the provision of God for your lives and for yours and yours and yours and yours for our lives. Now, in this place, at this time, today, this is God's provision. And whatever our circumstances or situation right now, this is the provision that is available to you and I. It is inexhaustible, abounding, exceeding grace. Nothing more and nothing less. Now, I want to just say this. So that those of you who are not sure yet that God wants you to be happy, you can find a little comfort. It doesn't mean that our lives will be charmed. Okay? Jesus said, I have said these things to you so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation, you will have trouble, you will have turbulence. Ever been on an aircraft? And all of a sudden, you hit one of these moments where everything shakes and the plane is going up and down and you feel like you're going to crash? Turbulence. You and I are going to experience some turbulence in life. But Jesus says to take heart because he has overcome the world. Now, some Christians teach explicitly, and some Christians believe implicitly, that if we love God and serve God and give, then we will not have anything bad happen to our lives. And I want you to know is that that is a great concept. It's just not true. And it's not biblical. Good times and bad times happen to us all. This text is not about immunity. It's about intimacy. It's not about immunity. It's about intimacy. And neither is this text about your and my personal wealth. It's about how we can be servants and ministers for God in this world to each other, to our neighbors, to our spouses, to our families, and the list goes on and on and on. Notice what it says in verse 9. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. That not only does God give, but God gives grace. Now, Grace is a word that sums up all of the blessings that come from God to us that we do not deserve. Somebody wrote this. They said, the word grace describes a disposition in the very nature of God in his character, which is revealed in his eternal, unchanging, and pardoning love. This is grace. A kindness and overflowing disposition in the heart of God. That every time God blesses us, every time God helps us, it's grace. Every time God provides for us, it's grace. Every time God reveals himself to us, it is grace. Every time God speaks to us, it is grace. Everything that comes from God comes under the umbrella of his grace. It's grace. Now... There are all kinds and any number of definitions of grace. But the one I want to give you this morning 
is from Psalm 31, verses 19 and 20. Now, you're not going to have time to get there in your Bible, so it's in your notes and it's going to be on the screen. And this is what it says. Now, listen to what it says. Oh, oh how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and work for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in the shelter, or rather, in you store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Now, let me break it down to you in three simple statements. Remember what I said to you, for those of you that are here at the 31st of, of December 2017, that God has goodwill toward us. Do you believe that? Matter of fact, this text, this text says that God has so much goodwill and so much goodness for you that he actually stores it up. He can't give it to us all at once, so he stores it up for us. The other thing it says in this text is this, that he covers us with his presence. Now, if that doesn't wake you up in the morning, nothing will. And the last thing it says is that he stores us. Now, think about it. He stores us in his shelter. We, God is our cellar. He's our bomb shelter. But notice what it says, from the strife of tongues. If we only knew some of the bad things that people said about us, we'd be so insecure we wouldn't be able to stand up straight. But God covers us. He puts us in the shelter of his presence. And thank God we don't know some of the foolishness that people get on with. Now, I want to go on to say this. That grace is not an it. Grace is not a commodity. Grace is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. That all of the grace of God, the goodness that God, the abundant goodness that God has stored up for you and for me, comes through to us through Jesus Christ. That's why the text ends the way it does. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. He's talking about Jesus. And the last thing in this point is that not only does God give and does God give grace, but God gives generously. Paul says in verse 9, as it is written, he has distributed it freely. It's it's actually a quote Paul uses out out of the Psalms, and it's Psalm 112, verse 9. But I want to read it to you from the message. And it says this, They lavish gifts on the poor. A generosity that goes on and on and on. An honored life, a beautiful life. Do you know why? For two reasons. I want you to listen again to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 and 11, but this time out of the message. This most generous God, 
who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals is more than extravagant, extravagant with you. He gives you something you can then give away which grows into full-formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God. Brothers and sisters, God is not stingy. God is not tight-fisted. When I was a kid, I don't know, I've been, we've been, looking, I've been looking at pictures, actually. Ruth found some pictures when I was, um, I should show them to you sometime, when I was about oh, 11 years old. And I remember my dad used to be, uh, used to, before we moved and he worked in the mine, he used to be a logger. And he was fairly buff, and he had big hands. And what he would do is he would put a coin, a quarter in his hand, and he would say to me, <clears throat> when I was, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, he would say, now, if you can get my hand open, if you can ply it open, you can have the quarter. Well, in those days, 900 years ago, a quarter could buy a you know, bag of chips and a pop and maybe even a few candy, which really was good for my soul. And, and I would try and pry his finger, and it wouldn't happen. I want you to know that's not who God is. You don't have to pry his fingers open. His hand is open. And the second thing why this is a reality is because not only is God the provider, God is the source. He's not just the supplier, he is the source. And then that brings us then to our final observation. A principle that is inescapable. And here is the point. It revolves around the word in verse 8, God is able. God is able. Let me read it to you. It says this, God is able to make all grace abound to you and to me, to us, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, that you and I may abound in every good work. Now, I want you to note what it does not say. It does not say that God will do it. It says that God is able to do this. Now, that God is able is not questioned in our text. And if you and I want to experience hilarious happiness, then the text tells us this, that you and I have a responsibility. And our responsibility is this, that whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And those who sow bountifully will reap bountifully. You see, here's the point. That God is able, no one in the text doesn't question that. No one in this room would question that. No one online would question that. That God is able. But whether he will or not depends on how you and I sow. If we are willing to serve generously, the stored up goodness of God, the abundant goodness of God will be ours. If sparingly, then likewise. 
So I ask you again, everyone wants to be happy. We are all on the happiness quest. But are you happy? Am I happy? What makes you happy? If you're not happy, I know what will make you happy. And are we hilariously happy? You see, the first secret of happiness is not what we think. The first secret of happiness is not getting, but it's giving. That's the first secret. Father, in heaven, you that are so able, (laughs) able, you that you you have abundant goodness, Stored up for me. Abundant goodness stored up for us. You want us to be happy. You want your children to be happy. What parent doesn't? We want our kids to be hilariously happy, and so does the Heavenly Father. But there's a catch. The catch is how we sow, how we serve, how we minister. And may we become the congregation that is generous and extravagant and gracious in all things. In Christ's name and for his name's sake, amen.